All right. The message this morning is entitled, The Distinguishing Mark of the Church. In our four studies that we began with regarding the nature of the church, we have come to understand that what the church is is the bride of Christ, Jew and Gentile one. What the priesthood of believers are, they are here to serve the Lord and serve each other with the gifts that God has given us. And what the life source of the church is, is the Holy Spirit. Apart from them, we could do nothing. But also what the transforming twins of the church are, prayer and the word. To continue to work in your life and in my life over and over and over again. The nature of the church is so important in view of all the heresy is being taught today by many popular teachers trying to distort and change the nature of the church. That's why we're taking this time to show you this series. What does the Bible say the church is? So that you can go to the scriptures to find out. So when you hear dumb things, you can judge those dumb things as dumb things, okay? Unbiblical things. You have the manual. So we might label these that I've mentioned, the doctrinal part of our series, the church, the vertical axis, what God has done for us and to us. Now we want to begin the practical aspect of the series, the horizontal plane, what God uh, or what we are to do in response to God. First, it's always the vertical, as you know, then the horizontal. This is always the order. God initiates. We respond. Knowledge divorced from practice is hypocrisy, as you know, and a mark of carnality and even counterfeit Christians. The greatest privilege in each of our lives is not to be um, a container of God's Holy Spirit, but to be a channel by which it can work through. You don't want to be a dead sea. You want to be a sea of Galilee, okay, that's flowing out. Very, very important. Now, the scriptures tell us about those who have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And from those we are to turn away from in Second uh, Timothy 3, 5. The power indicated there is the power to transform your life. You should be being transformed every day. If you're not seeing transformation in your life, you should question your life. You should be yielding. You should be dying, dying to yourself, dying to yourself and seeing more Jesus and less of you. This is the Christian life. This is not a religion. This is not a club. This is... The church of Jesus Christ. John says, my little children, let us not love in word nor in deed or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. When two become one, 1 John 3.18. Now, there are many things that could identify a Christian. But one of the main things that Jesus said that's to be the distinguishing mark of the believer in the church is his agape love. That's the distinguishing mark. In John 3.35, it says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. A very distinguishing mark, and we should be known for that. So, I want to speak to you about the distinguishing mark of the church, agape love, through a threefold lens. First, the perspective of God's love for the church. Secondly, the principle of God's love for for the church, and thirdly, the power of God's love for the church. This will demonstrate the nature of the church regarding this particular distinguishing mark. Let's begin with the perspective of God's love for the church. Unlike our English uh, um, language, the Greek has four different words. You know, we love our wife, we love our dog, we love our hamburger. Hopefully there's a difference, okay? Um, God's agape love is distinct from the Greek word, first of all, phileo. 
Phileo denotes the love of fondness, mental plane love. You know, we get along with one another. The affectionate love is based upon compatibility, similar likeness and dislikes, interests. Um, this love is the starting point for many relationships that will grow in commitment. But it's only the beginning. This love is a stepping stone towards the deepest love in marriage, a sexual one that it leads to. Now, God's agape love is distinct from the Greek word eros, which is, describes the erotic, sensual, and sexual desire for a man or a woman or vice versa. It is a legitimate love that God has created us for. He's created us male and female, okay? Um, I think the colleges are up to about 16 different categories of sexuality. Now, you've got to believe the Bible, there's two, or you've got to believe the secular world. You get to choose. All the equipment works, by the way. You don't have to try it out. All right? God created you in his image, male and female. This type of love is legitimate by the very fact that God created us as sexual beings. The sexual love is legitimate within marriage alone, not for mere recreation. That's the worldly model. If you're a believer, you need to know what the Bible teaches about that. The emotions of a woman are often manipulated by a man to obtain sexual conquest with no regards to the loss of her purity or the devastation of her emotions. Ladies, remember a few things. Once a man conquers you, he will see you as damaged goods in common, no longer special. Understand that clearly. He will be gone having conquered you. Nothing to look forward to anymore and moving on to his next conquest. His disgust for you will be greater than his so-called love that he declared for you. Ammon raped Tamar, 2 Samuel 13, 15. He declares that very, very clear. Now, lust cannot wait to be satisfied. And once it is, it does not price what it has defiled. It scorns it. It's just the heart of man, deceitfully wicked, evil. The Bible says that a woman plays a whore or a harlot while in her father's house when she allows herself to be defiled. And the man plays the fool. Deuteronomy 22, 21, 1 Samuel 13, 13. Read the Proverbs. It warns so much against that, both to the male and the female. Giving your honor to another. You only give yourself away one time. And you alone get to choose who that man and that woman is. No one's at fault but you. Ladies, Scripture says you are not to allow any man to awaken your sexual love until it pleases the honeymoon night. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, 3, 5, 8, 4. Ladies, you are the sentinel of your own purity. Don't break trust with yourself. Or with your creator and savior. Ladies, the giving of yourself sexually to a man will be either a memory of sorrowful regret or a sweet surrender to your husband. One of the two. Don't let it be a moment of pressure, an expression of passion anywhere else but your honeymoon bed. I'm speaking to all of you who are still single, who still are pure. Mark it well. Guarded with the greatest of vigilance. Men, 
You have no business or right to take away from any woman what rightly belongs to her future husband. So treat the woman that you are dating as you would want any man to treat the wife that you're going to marry. It's just that simple. Now, if you're a non-believer, you think I'm crazy talking like this. I'm not talking to you. I'm just warning you. But I'm talking to Christians. Non-believers can't do this. Believers can. Now, both the man and the woman should be honest with each other before marriage about their past. Um, it's important that you be honest with each other, lest you set up your marriage for destruction after marriage. Now, as Christians as you are dating, it's nobody's business about your intimate stuff. When you move into an engagement relationship, now you are saying, you're going to be my husband and wife. You lay your cards out on the table. Because you need to find out if this person loves you for who you are or for what he thinks you are. And it's rather to hear no now than afterwards. Are we clear on this? Okay? I'm talking about reality. I'm 66 years old. I've been through life a little bit. I've been a pastor for 40 years. Okay? Very important. If you have been married before, you should tell that person. If you've had an abortion, sexually transmitted disease, you're coming out of the homosexual lifestyle, lesbian lifestyle, whether you're sterile or not. Have you been sexually involved before? These are important things that you need to disclose to him or her alone, no one else, and you need to get your answer before you say, I do. Very important. To keep any of these things from a person committed their life to you is dishonest and treacherous, potentially able to devastate them, resulting in great pain and sorrowful suffering, feeling deceived and betrayed, regretting the marriage afterwards. This is not hypothetical. I'm talking reality. Now, God's agape love is also distinct from the Greek word storge. Storge depicts the family love, such as between a parent, wife, and a husband, parents to children, children to parents, uncles, and so on and so forth. This affection is needed and vital for the family to exist so that everybody's plugging into the family, giving out from that. The old home used to have the father, the grandfather, the uncle, the aunts, everybody plugged in. Today, families are scattered and fractured. But listen... God's love is still great, and God's love can still do it. And sometimes the people in the church are going to be closer to you than your regular family. Are we clear on this? All right? doesn't mean we hate our families. It means that they don't think the way we do in the Lord. It's a complete different thing. The word is found in the negative only two times. And that's in Romans 131 and 2 Timothy 3.3. A storge, to characterize the characteristic of the last days. No family love. It's all around us, evident by fornication. They don't call it fornication. There's nothing wrong with it. Adultery, abortion, abandonment, so on and so forth. Keep the list going. It's no big deal, right? Different strokes for different folks of the 60s. Now is a reality. God's agape love is God's divine love, distinct from these that we've mentioned. 
his love for sinful man. The word is defined for us in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. Agape love sacrifices for others. Agape love gives to others. We were takers in the world. We still have an evil heart, so we have to put on the heart of God, the mind of Christ, the spirit of God. Otherwise, we will resort to our sinful flesh. The trinity of darkness, me, myself, and I. The agape love of God is unconditional and uncaused. Agape is unconditional for God desires nothing from man, nor does he seek anything from man. He loves man as a sinner. Yet the condition for man to receive that benefit is repentance. God's love cannot benefit a sinner until there's repentance. You as a parent love your child. If they're wayward, you want to bless them, but you can't unless you facilitate them in their bad lifestyle. But once that child returns and acknowledges their error, now you can bless them. The same thing with God. That repentance must take place. Agape is uncaused, for there is nothing again that man has done or can do to have God love him. When he died on the cross, he died for sinners. I presume you qualify. He loved you so much that he died for you. Romans 5, 6, he died for the ungodly. Agape is uncaused, for the very nature of God is said to be Agape love. God is love even as he is light, eternal life, and spirit. The very nature of God, the scriptures declare. God's agape love is based on his perfection and his holiness. He can make no mistake. He cannot have anything to do with impurity. He is, uh, the, the, the heavens are not uh, uh, pure in his sight. The agape love of God will develop and blossom these other three loves that we've talked about, distinct from God's love. Rather than abusing them or misusing them, resulting in pain and destruction, now agape love can enhance these other three, the phileo love, to strengthen the relationship instead of taking advantage of it or manipulating the person through emotions. The eros love, respecting that sexual oneness, valuing it and honoring it to God and to each other as husband and wife. The storge love, to protect and give witness of God's priorities of the care of the family. That's what God's agape love does. It's done throughout the history, through the witness of those who have walked with God. You know, there were two missionaries, Jackie and Julie, who were taken hostage by rioting communist guerrillas in the military prison in the Philippines in 1992. They were um, repeatedly raped, but Jackie spoke to her captors about God's love. On um, the third day, there was a shot out between the prisoners and soldiers and Jackie and the 16-year-old Julie were shot. As Jackie lay dying, she was raising her hands to God, praying for the rioting inmates and the soldiers. This is power. God's power of agape love. When did this take place? 1992. Same witness of the first century Christians who burned at the stake and died under Nero's sword, praying for their captives. God's love is still the same, ladies and gentlemen. If you're not manifesting, it's your fault, not God's. We're not yielding to it. As a Christian, you want to make sure that you do not abuse or misuse emotional love in your relationships. As single Christian males, you should not be manipulating women through their emotions as you did in the world. 
but guarding yourself and guarding them. As single Christian ladies, you should not be using those emotions to get your way, to get things from a guy, just as he shouldn't try to get things for you and conquer you. You're a Christian now. As married Christian couples, we should not play with each other's emotions, for it will erode trust and tenderness, resulting in a hard heart. Love and marriage is ascribed to us the relationship of Christ to the church in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. A parallel in Scripture like no other. As Christians, we're not to place the emphasis on sexual love, eros, as the world does. It's an important thing, but it's not the only thing. As singles, there is nothing wrong with being attracted to the opposite sex. That's why God made male and female. But if the physical and sexual desire is what is the forefront of your relationships, it will never be real or happy or honest. As married, the sexual intimacy is very important, binding the deepening the love of husband and wife, particularly as you have children. It looks so much like you and like her and the binding together. It's amazing. But if the sexual relationship is all that holds a person and their mate together, it is shallow and most degrading using that person for a sexual object. This is the world's mindset. You know that. We live in a cesspool today. Sex should never be used by either mate to manipulate or punish. It is your obligation to each other. Never to deny one another. Your body is not your own. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 6. Only by consent if you give yourself to the Lord for a set time. And then you come back together and let Satan tempt you. Very, very, very clear. Ladies, you have a headache? A lot? Take an aspirin. Men, she tells you to back off. Deny yourself. Step balance. Simple. As Christians, the love of our family should be most evident for those around us in the world, our families, our friends, and those who don't know us. Our faithfulness and loyalty to our mates for life should astonish them. You mean you don't mess around your wife? No. Why not? Judy and I were just went to a restaurant yesterday, and it was cold, so we were driving out. And I heard this guy, this lady, talking to one of the guys that's pushing the cart out in Spanish. Where are you going? I'm going to go see my wife, who, who, what girl he's hanging out with. Amazing to me. Just like a joke. The world. A commitment to the example to our children. What an incredible responsibility. As godly parents, according to the distinct roles of Scripture, they see your passion, your love, your commitment to that husband, to that wife. Our uncompromising priorities for family above everything and anything that would destroy and dishonor it. It's so needed in the world. You see the credentials for elders and deacons and for Christians in service. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus is family, the home, not the credentials, not your degrees, not the, the size of church you have. It's your home. That's your credentials to serve, ladies and gentlemen. As Christians, we have the greatest potential to blossom love in every level. By yielding to agape love, not abusing or misusing that emotional love, but developing it. Not defiling or abusing our sexual love as husband and wife, 
but allowing it to just enrich us completely. Not failing in my family love, but enhancing it and passing it down to my children. Agape love will cause all these to blossom and grow and to enhance our relationship in Christ, husband, wife, family, and friends. This is the perspective of God's love for the church, the nature of the church, ladies and gentlemen. Secondly comes the principle of God's love for the church. The Lord our God is the source of love as we've seen. God is the initiator. John tells us that God first loved us in 1 John 4.10. Man is the responder again. Man loved God because God first loved him in 1 John 4.19. Jesus declares that his disciples would, would be known for their agape love for one another, not their works. John 13.35. God's love is based on his holiness. Always. God is love, the very nature in 1 John 4, 7, and 8. God's love says no many times. It's not permissive like us. We as parents, our kids bug us, all right, go ahead. Have you ever heard you keep bugging God, 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 and go, all right, go ahead and do it. You ever tell you that? It's Satan telling you that, not God. We give up. We get tired. All right, do it. God doesn't. He is true. He is faithful because he loves us. The church is a channel of love. The purpose of God's love is to impart to others, being the great commandments. The lawyer asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment as you know? And Jesus says, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, in Matthew 22, 35 to 38. And the second unto the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22, 39 down to 40 there. This is one thing that's only possible if we are abiding in Christ Jesus, God is the source. His love for man is to benefit him completely in every way. The one is responsible for the other. God is the source. The love of man is the fruit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, as you know, is the solution to the works of the flesh in Galatians 5.22, agape love. It's singular. The rest are manifestations of love, the first being joy. See, happiness is based on how you feel, what you have, who you know. And so if you're feeling up, oh, you're happy, but you're feeling, ah. You got a new car, oh, man, smell that leather, oh, it's so good. You drive it out, somebody smacks it, oh, now you're not so happy. But joy is who's in you. In spite of the circumstances, the situation, it goes beyond that, beyond your emotions, joy. The world can't give you joy. Only Jesus can give you joy. Read the book of Philippians. We're right now we're in depth study on it. It's known as the epistle of joy. It's Paul's joy. Where is he at? He's not at the, at, at the Hilton's. He's in a Mamertine prison. Joy. Wow. Here we have once again the vertical axis. God's love is the source. He imparts this to us so we in the horizontal level can impart it. The love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us, Romans 5, 5 says. The lost world is the recipient of love. We gather as a church to provoke one another to love and good works, as you know, that the world may see our love, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. How often people you've heard say, well, you know, I don't, the Bible doesn't say I have to go to church. No, the Bible does say that. The Bible says you're not to forsake the gathering of the saints. You are the church. 
You're giving a witness to the world, your family members, your friends, that you are faithful to the Lord and you love Him so much that you gather together. The love of Christ is to constrain us in reaching the loss in 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of God helps me to love others as myself. Because as myself is, is a negative quality. I love myself, that's selfish. So if I could love you like I love me, I'd be loving you a lot. That's why he says, husband, love your wife as you love yourself. He took a negative thing, a thing that's not good, selfishness. Now, if you can love your wife as selfish as you are about yourself, you will be a great husband. Wow. The saints are to be instruments of agape love. Listen, 1 John four eleven says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John 4, 16, if we have known and, uh, and, and believed the love of God for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him, mutual. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out all fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 1 John 4, 18, the one who is not yielded is not being perfected in love. Doesn't mean sinless, doesn't mean finished. It means that you are maturing, growing in that capacity. First John 4.20 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Simple. First John 4.21, And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. He hits it from the other angle. In the 1950s, Pastor Kim and his congregation of 27 were discovered in their underground tunnels. The head communist officer prepared to hang the children and commanded the parents to deny Christ. The parents said to their children, we will see you in heaven. The officer ordered the steamroller and forced the children to lay down on the ground and told them to deny Christ. As the steamroller slowly moved forward on them, they were crushed beneath it. All were singing. Listen what they were singing. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. These alone I seek, more love to thee. Let sorrow do its work, more love to thee. Then shall my latest breath whisper, thy praise, this love, O Christ, to thee. Jesus freak. Page 124 and 25. Modern day Christians. Like those of the first century church. You and I can only read about this. In view of this, the problems you and I have are very, very, very small. God's love, ladies and gentlemen, wipe you out. The love of our God is the source of agape love. Many will point to the ability of many like Gandhi, peaceful, nonviolent, as proof that he was of God. But the ability to be nonviolent or even lay down one's life is no evidence of knowing God or having God's agape love. The only thing that verifies that we know God and that God honors what we are doing and that we're doing agape love is our witness that we're doing in the name of Jesus according to his word. And he knows our heart. 
First John 4, 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Wow. Jesus died on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, being stoned to death, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Whoa. Now, when I think of things like this, I could never do that. But I haven't been in that position. I have to believe that God will be faithful to give me the ability when I get there. If I try to think before I get there, I freak out. He doesn't give me something until I need it. He is faithful. The Lord Jesus has seen fit for the church to be the channel of his agape love. For only those saved by Jesus are part of the church, the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. If you're a non-believer, God is here to show you your need of him. That you might repent from your sins. That he might cleanse you and make you his bride. Regardless of nationality, race, culture, economic differences... Jew, Gentile, Scythian, barbarian, male, female, bond, slave, makes no difference. You're one in Christ Jesus. So we never allow politics or anything to divide us. We are in Christ Jesus. You find that in Galatians 3.28, Colossians 3.11. All are new creatures in Christ Jesus. All things pass away. Everything becomes new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Love at the expense of doctrine is not God's agape love. Today, the emergent church is giving up doctrine for just love. What kind of love are you talking about? It's not God's love. Because God's love says you must obey my word. And what you do has to be according to my word. And if you don't teach doctrine and, and examine doctrine, then how are you going to judge what is being told to you? Love that is of God follows doctrine. Solid. Sound doctrine, God's revelation. The Lord Jesus uses us by his agape love for the last of this lost world to be the recipients of his loving invitation to repent from their sins. Because you and I have been lost. You and I have been forgiven. By hearing the gospel message, by agreeing with God that they're sinners under the wrath of God, by confessing their sin, abandoning their sin, and making restitution when possible. That's true biblical repentance. It comes through the preaching of the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. The Lord Jesus commanded that we love one another. As a practice, we are to prove the sincerity of our love. 2 Corinthians 8, 8. We are to be without blame before him in love. Ephesians 1, 4. We are to be rooted and grounded in his love in Ephesians 3.17. We are to speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4.15. We are to put our love and, and grow in our love more and more in, in Philippians 1.9. And we are to give evidence of our maturity by our love in 1 John 4.17. Not knowledge or development. Though that is necessary, but your love. We are to be manifesting evidence of abiding in the light, understanding the gospel message, and being obedient to God's word. If I'm not being obedient, I'm kidding myself. There's no way. This is the principle of God's love for the church. Now, judge all this to what is being taught in much of the emergent and kingdom theology in many of the churches today. Totally different. 
They just say, well, just love one another. And, and people are in the congregation and they know they're fornicating. They know they're doing this and that. And they don't confront them because we just love one another. Really? Wow. Amazing. Do you do that as parents to your children? Do you think God's as dumb as you? As evil as you? I don't think so. You might see it in man, but you're not going to see it from God. And you shouldn't, shouldn't be seeing it through God's people. If you love somebody, you call them out on it. Third comes the power of God's love for the church. The power of God's love is sufficient to forgive one another. This is the heart of it, ladies and gentlemen. You don't have to go any further. This is it. This is the bullseye. This is irrespective of the damage suffered before Christ or after Christ. I am to forgive as Christ has forgiven me. Colossians three thirteen through 14. In proportion as Christ has forgiven me. Whoa. Such as the things we mentioned in not being honest prior to marriage. When that person asks forgiveness, I am to forgive. This is not an option. It's a requirement in Christ. As Christ has forgiven me. The ability to forgive is based on the fact that I have been enabled to cope with the things pertaining to life and godliness by the new divine nature according to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. This does not imply there will be no pain or suffering, that it will come easy. No, it doesn't. Are you ready what it will cost you? It will cost you your life. You must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. Not a religion, ladies and gentlemen. It's Christianity. You know what it caused Christ to have you forgiven? His life. I'm obligated to forgive if you repent genuinely, evident by your words and your actions. I am to forgive. God does not require of me anything, He does not require of Himself. God forgives when there is a confession and repentance from the heart. He requires the same of me. Now, having said that, there's a caution. If someone never asks me the forgiveness for what they've done, I voluntarily, being wise in Christ, forgive them without them even asking me so that I don't become the slave to what has been done to me. Are we clear on this? But I don't deceive myself thinking that we are reconciled. We're the best of buddies. I'm hoping that forgiveness is asked. So then I can impart that forgiveness and reconciliation can be made. All right? Real simple. This is the responsibility of every Christian in the church. In Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Peter asked Jesus how often he must forgive. And he suggested seven times. <laughs> Peter thought he was doing real good. The Lord said, no, seven times seven, 449 times. Whoa. What was the meaning? After 449, you're off the hook? No. He says, don't keep a ledger. In other words, when there is true, genuine repentance, then we take it as word and we impart forgiveness and let time run. Simple. Then Jesus proceeded to tell a parable of that king that wanted to settle his accounts, as you know, with the servants. And one owed him an un payable amount, millions of dollars, unable to pay. He pleaded with his master not to sell his wife and his children. The master was moved with compassion, forgave him his entire debt. Then the servant went out and demanded of his fellow servant who owed him just 
a hundred denarii, pennies, compared to him. Grabbed them by the throat, and as the man pleaded, he ignored him, had no compassion, and threw him in jail. Another fellow servant, seeing all this from afar off, went and told the master. The master recalled the evil servant and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And the master delivered him to the tortures until payment was made. That parable, ladies and gentlemen, is not there for you and I to say, what a rat. That parable is there to say, that's me. That is me if I don't yield to God. You're a saint, but you still have an ain't heart, okay? The heart of man is desperately wicked above all things. And if you don't walk in the spirit, you don't grow in the Lord. Don't ever say never. We are bad to the bone. Jesus said, so my heavenly father also will do to you if you, each of you, from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Matthew 18, 35, trespass is willful disobedience. So if I don't forgive you as a brother or sister, I'm out of fellowship with God. He will not forgive me my sin. That's the context, ladies and gentlemen. Study it clear. The emergent church never touches these passages. They don't want to mess with this kind of stuff. We all have the capacity. The only thing we lack is the willingness. I caution, if you are committed to God love, it will cost you dearly. Just as it costs God dearly to forgive you the life of his son. It's not a matter of what you feel. It's a matter of what you will. The power of God's love makes us humble, ladies and gentlemen. And the believer is to live after the example of Christ. Philippians 2, 1, 2. The believers to put on the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. Being God, he emptied himself of his glory. Divested himself, washed feet, and died for you. Wow. There is no exception on that. those two verses. It is the command to every Christian. They have the capacity. Blessed are the poor spirit. This is the kingdom of God, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3. This implies that they understand their bankruptcy to merit salvation or deserve salvation. No one can say, I deserve heaven. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs chapter 3, 34. 1 Peter 5, 5 and many other passages. And so therefore the Proverbs 4 through 23 says that we are to guard our hearts with all diligence. For out of the springs, the issues of life. Once again, Jeremiah 79, the heart of man is deceitful. Our sinful state, our fallen state, that depravity is ever there until the day I die. But with the new nature, I can live for Christ. I can put on the armor. I can fight the good fight. I can be victorious. Having done all to stand, end up standing. But if I don't yield to God's love in that, I will fail every time. Where your treasure is. There will your heart be also, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. But that passage in Philippians 2, 5 through 8 is after the servanthood of Christ. He took on the form of a servant, humbling himself, became obedient to the death of the cross. Pride is the heart of sin, but love is the heart of humility, ladies and gentlemen. You see, the power of God's love allows us to give of our material gain also. It covers every area of our life. 
There's no area that it doesn't touch. The Macedonians gave to the poor saints of Jerusalem out of their deep poverty as their ability freely and willingly in 2 Corinthians 8, 2-3. The Corinthians were to give to the poor as a test of their sincere love that they gave a year ago in 2 Corinthians 8, 8. They were just shooting their lip. Each person is to give as God has prospered him out of their heart hilariously, not begrudgingly, not for pressure, not with sad stories, not because people are pleading, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. There are many needs. No one can meet all of them, nor anybody should attempt to them. There are times when God will want you to meet certain needs, and he will show you a person, a circumstance. Then you meet it. Don't call us up. Don't call another Christian. You meet it. The problem we call other people is because we don't want to count the cost. There are many parasites in the church, never giving, but always taking. God's love gives. The power of God's love is unfailing, as you know. I fail whenever I don't yield to God love. Every time I've yielded to God love, I have never, ever failed. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, very clearly, God's love is incredible. God's love cannot be substituted in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 through 3. If I have not agape love, I have communicated nothing, verse 1 says. If I have not agape love, I have nothing, verse 2 says. If I don't have agape love, I have given nothing, verse 3 says. When you come to verse 4 down to 8, God's love is declared in its unfailing power. In the text, love is described, not defined. Put your name in the place of agape love. See how far you can get. Xavier suffers long. What a joke. I can't continue. Put agape love, the name of Jesus, you can get right through the list. It's the only way you can get through the list, ladies and gentlemen. Paul says that the love of Christ constrains us to serve others, 2 Corinthians 5.14. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ is Jewish. He keeps good books. No one's going to have to correct him on anything. He knows our heart. The power of God's love moves us to confront and to chasten. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son he receives. Hebrews 12, 6. Parents, be consistent. Don't threaten your children. Keep your promises. Keep your word. Parents, do not keep information from each other regarding the children. Both of you should let your children know that you're a snitch. That you're a squealer. All right? You're a tatty tail. Do not let your children, your children will know that they cannot divide you. Mommies back off, let dad do their job. Moms are the defenders of children and dogs. Dads, listen to your wives. They're there to temper you. Compliment, not competition. Paul told the Corinthians then, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, he wrote to them. 
with many tears, not that they should be grieved, but that they might know the love which he had abundantly for them. In Second Corinthians 2.4, they were like wayward children. He had to come down hard on them. True love confronts, brings forth consequences for the purpose of restoration, not mere castigation. Second Timothy 4.2, Titus 2.15, the believers are to rebuke, exhort, uh, reprove one another. If you love, you do that. As parents, if you don't confront your children, you don't love them. You can tell me you love them. But if you don't confront your children, and if you don't bring consequences, you love yourself. You don't want to be bothered. The power of God's love motivates the life of the church and its witness, service, and the gifts. The more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. The church of Ephesus was reproved by Christ despite her works, patience and purity and doctrine and perseverance. He had one thing against them. What? She had left her first love. Revelation 2, 2 through 4. What motivated Peter to preach at Pentecost? He just killed his Lord. Agape love. You kill my wife, my children, and if I don't yield to agape love, I want to kill you. I'm not going to tell you about being forgiven. He gave them the treasure of heaven. He preached Christ to them. They were given the proclamation of God's agape love to be forgiven. Once again, Christians can only say, I will not. They can never say, I cannot. I have to say no to God. Because if God calls me to do something, he's already enabled me to do it. John says, and now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of this is agape love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Into the life of Charles Lamb, there came a deep attraction, an attachment to a woman. But the willingness forsook marriage when he saw the needs of um, his own family. Brother, son, and husband, he became the guardian angel of the home, especially of his sister Mary, who was at times mentally deranged. After she had um, stabbed her mother to death in one of her moments, Charles Lamb stripped himself um, uh, as Jonathan uh, for... Um, before him for David as a servant to his sister. And for 38 years, he watched over her with tender solicitude. A friend tells how he would sometimes see the brother and sister walking hand in hand across the field to the old asylum, both their faces bathed in tears. A sad story and yet a true story, a grand story. Charles Lamb had his place in his home. It was never left empty. It costs to love. You have to get yourself out of that. Remove yourself. The selfishness of our life. The sinfulness of our life. The power and sufficiency of God's love is to forgive those who have injured you as an amazing witness. Forgiving an adulterous wife or husband when they repent. Wow. 
I can't even imagine, but I know that God is able. I've seen it. Forgiving one who would murder your family member. I read about it in history. Forgiving lies, slanders, and malicious gossip. You keep the list going. Matthew 6, 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's what's to be in our prayers, ladies and gentlemen. Study it. The power of God's love is to make us humble like our Lord. He told Judas Iscariot, listen carefully in Luke twenty-two forty-eight. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss repeatedly? He didn't kiss Jesus once, but repeatedly. He was offering Judas repentance. Jesus offered Judas repentance over and over and over again, and he rejected it. The power of God's love allows us to give of our material gain, ladies and gentlemen. David said that he would not give anything to the Lord that it didn't cost him. First Chronicles twenty one twenty four. Jesus observing the giving of the treasury there, as you know, in Luke twenty one four. It says, For all these, as they were all giving all their big money, the Pharisees and all the wealthy people, he says, For all of these out of their abundance have put in offering for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. God is not concerned on how much I give. He's concerned on why and how I give. But the contrast here is these people thought they were doing such a great work for God, but it didn't cost them. She gave the very thing that she needed that day to eat. God honors that. The power of God's love is unfailing, ladies and gentlemen. Paul says that he can do nothing unless it's through Jesus Christ who strengthens him. In Philippians 4.13. In Romans 8.35-29 it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, principalities, power nor things present, things to come, nor height nor death nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are horrific things. I've never gone through many of these things. And yet Paul says, what keeps me to be able to go through all these things is God's agape love. My love for God first, the vertical. Then the horizontal can be applied. It must be first vertical. The power of God's love causes us to be faithful, to deal with each other, to confront, to chasten, be it a husband, a wife, a son, or a daughter, those in the family of God. Remember, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says that open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. If you're just hanging out with people to tell you what a great person you are, go get some real friends. They're not your friends. The power of God's love motivates the life of the church and its witness, service, and the gifts. The more excellent way. Are you yielding to God's agape love? How are we doing? 
Are you serving the Lord in the church as an expression of your love for Him? Are you known for His agape love? If so, then it will be the distinguishing mark in your life, and they probably will associate the church that you go to as a result of that. This is the power of God's love for the church, ladies and gentlemen, the nature of the church. Now, you must take this and judge everything else you hear that's going on today and this whole kingdom theology and, and emergent church trash that's passing lies offered truth, passing motivational speaking for spiritual teaching. You must judge everything by the word. You must be a good Berean to search the scriptures to find out these things are so. You are the church, not this building. You and I. People are looking at you, they're looking at me. And some of them are amazed of how you live and how you can do the things you do. And God will use that to reach them, whether they come to you directly or they hear the gospel somewhere else. But you are a walking epistle of Christ Jesus. The distinguishing mark of the church is agape love. According to these three distinctive lenses. The perspective of God's love for the church. The principle of God's love for the church. And the power of God's love for the church. May God continue to use us as he has the last 36 years. May we continue to be the church according to scripture. May we never trust in ourselves but in Christ Jesus. And may we be as gracious to each other as God has been to each of us. As husbands and wives, parents to children, children to parents, brothers and sisters. And those who don't know Christ who have injured us who would ask us forgiveness. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. Father, thank you for your grace and your love and your goodness, Lord. And Father, we are humbled by your um, love for us, how good you are. We pray for anybody here who doesn't know you, Lord. We pray that they would give their hearts to you, that you would open their eyes to see their need of you, and they will call on your name to be forgiven, Lord. As your present, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Balcony or floor, right where you sit, you can accept them right now. Maybe you're over the internet. You can ask him right where you sit. And he will take all of your sins that you have committed, and he's going to bury them in the deepest ocean, cast them behind his back, put them as far as east as the west, and never mention them again, and make you whiter than snow. It comes through repentance, asking him to forgive you, recognizing that you are a sinner before him. This is your prayer to him. You can repeat it. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.